You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. We live. <laughs> This is Locked On Hornets presented by Built Bar. Use promo code Locked On to get $10 off of your first box of Built Bar at BuiltBar.com. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. And you, and you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And make sure you follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. I'm on Twitter at Walker Mail. And Doug is on Twitter at Doug Branson, L-O-H. Doug is feeling like a genius. He texted me yesterday about the glorious idea that he had in our interview on the wake-up call, questioning the legitimacy about the NBA's proposals to return. And the reason he feels like a genius is not only because he feels like a genius anyway, but he feels validated in that he heard Adrian Wojnarowski say the same exact thing in Doug's own words on the Woj and Low combined podcast that he was listening to just yesterday. And Doug, you do feel like a higher being having heard Woj agree with yourself. Well, I feel a bit cheated, to be honest, because he didn't cite me or my interview uh, on on the wake-up call in, in making that take. But I was definitely on that ground first uh, that if they decide to come back, they have to be concerned. I get that coming back is about money. I understand that. But I think they have to be concerned about if you crown a champion, is that champion legitimate? Will people come? Because listen, people are going to watch it first. They're going to come to the spectacle because they've been missing sports. We've all been missing sports. But if what they come back to is too weird, if it's too odd, if it's too different than what we have come to expect for decades, then I think there's going to be real questions about the legitimacy of what we're what we're experiencing. So we lie all the time. We said we're going to move towards the present and the future. That is not <laughs> going to happen yet. We are going to go to the past Oops. one more time at least, and probably even more so because that's right. It's time machine week here on the Locked On Podcast Network. That's just as we sound just of the time machine. We, just as we declared, we were going to move towards the present and the future and focus on the guys that are on the Hornets roster. Currently, we get the word from the higher ups that, nope, we're going to send you right back in that time machine and send you back into the quote unquote glory days of the Charlotte Hornets, the first to go around. And we're going to mention Baron Davis's interview that he had with Eric Collins because Fox sports Southeast, as they've been airing some of these classic games, they're going to be airing the game that Baron Davis uh, had a couple of triple doubles. I believe it was a second triple double performance, if I'm not mistaken, Doug, and we're going to hear uh, some Baron Davis audio later on in the show. Yeah. I'm actually excited about doing this time machine trip because it goes to 2002, a very odd time in our pop culture, but also an odd time to be a fan of the Charlotte Hornets. I remember watching that team. I remember watching these playoff series. So we're going to hear from Baron Davis. We're also going to remind you of what was going on around that time. So stick around for that segment. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be on the move to New Orleans once again, but we go into some detail again because we lie and we don't do what we're going to say constantly, but, but you guys still continue to listen to us. Okay, but we do lie, and sometimes we don't do what we say we're going to do, but what we do do, even though we don't do the thing we said we would do, what we do do when we don't do that thing is actually done very well. 
The updates around the NBA and the proposals that are coming our way, Doug, let's try to stick with the present and the future, at least in the first segment. Mm -hmm. So in that Woj and Low combined forces podcast, it's when you get all of the Avengers together, except it's just two Avengers and they create a super podcast. They create a super show of Woj and Low. They talked about some of those proposals and one of them would affect the Charlotte Hornets greatly. And the fact that there might be a play in tournament, Doug, a play-in tournament that would consist of possibly 20 teams to 24 teams. And if you were to take the top, I don't know, maybe just the top 20 teams in the NBA in general, maybe that would leave out the Charlotte Hornets because you would want to create a scenario that included all of the Western Conference teams that were really trying to fight for a playoff spot. You had a few teams that were trying to catch the Memphis Grizzlies, the Portland Trailblazers, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Sacramento Kings, all of those teams were trying to catch the Memphis Grizzlies for that last playoff spot. The Hornets are very far out of the playoff race, but they're only the 10 seed. In terms of games behind, the Hornets would be far out of the playoff race. It's not a playoff team. It's a team we feel really good about what they did this year. It's still not a playoff team compared to what everybody else has exuded, right? Like it would be a kind of a joke for the Hornets to be a legitimate playoff team. You want your question of legitimacy to include the Hornets in the playoffs. I'm not sure how legitimate that would be based on what they did in the regular season, but I still feel very good about it. What are some of the more details that you have, Doug, about your questions of legitimacy and some of these proposals to come back? I love jokes. Jokes can be fun. Jokes can be uh, fun to watch. Uh, So let's not discount, even though it would be a joke if the Charlotte Hornets made the playoffs, let's not discount how fun it would be to watch the Charlotte Hornets on, by the way, on some kind of national television on NBA TV, on ESPN, on TNT. I mean, to me, that's the big allure for the Charlotte Hornets is the opportunity to showcase uh, their talents uh, because normally it would be, you know, gate receipts. You know, you're going to get a huge uh, gate receipt on uh, a playoff series, even if you get three games uh, and you get swept, um, you know, or, or two games, I should say, and get swept, you're still going to get – uh, huge returns on that, and but you're not going to get that. So really, all you're looking for here is national TV exposure and what comes with that. I saw that the uh, that Shams has the GM survey results, and the playoff plus model where 20 or more teams would make the playoffs had 83 percent support. Uh, so, and I have to think that the Hornets are included in that. Uh, that they the, because. You know, I, I think that they they definitely stand to benefit if they were one of the teams, and that's a big if because if you reseed the playoffs, right, Walker, then then you can't add the Hornets. Then you would have to add the Pelicans, the Portland Trailblazers, because if the conferences don't matter, then you have no obligation to put the Hornets into this like playoff plus model. Well, let's talk about that. So that's one of the things that Zach Lowe was mentioning in a sports center hit that he did yesterday was one of the biggest things that the NBA was discussing was how much sense does it make to bring in teams that are outside of the playoff picture right now to participate in a play in tournament for a handful of games after the fact that they have to do this 25 to 30 day conditioning drill plan, basically to bring these guys back up to speed in order to play the highest level of basketball. Would that be would that be sensical 
to only play a handful of games. You know, does that make sense whatsoever? And then maybe be bounced from the play in tournament, not make the playoffs. And maybe somebody gets hurt because of the soft tissue injuries that are going to be more prevalent or at least have a higher chance of happening because of all the rest that the players have had. That's the thing that the NBA has to balance. But as we dive into a little bit more of the benefits of the Charlotte Hornets and the kind of balance that they have to try to figure out, it would be, do we improve our lottery odds by just not wanting to participate in the playoffs whatsoever and holding on, holding on for dear life to that eight spot that they currently have if the season were to end today? Or is there real value in playing in a postseason, even if it is probably going to have an asterisk attached to it? Even if it is such a unique situation, it's something that we have never seen before, where you have some of the legends of the game saying, just end the season because the legitimacy of the champion going to carry nearly as much merit as previous champions. So Doug, when I ask you how you balance the benefit of having the lottery pick that you have at the eight spot now and or the postseason value, what do you value a little bit more? I, to me, the dream scenario, right, would be to be involved in one of these playoff plus scenarios, but that the lottery odds somehow get locked in. And there has been some discussion around locking in maybe one to 11 in the lottery odds, so you can't really get worse than 11, even if you are included in the playoff plus model. Uh, so that would be dream scenario, but I don't think that's going to happen. If if the Hornets think that if they make this playoff plus scenario that they could go to season ticket fans in the future and say, hey, we made the playoffs, and, and them not kind of roll their eyes a little bit, then they're delusional. I hope, I, I pray that they don't think that. Uh, but I think there is some value, not only on being on national television, I think there's some value to Devontae Graham, P.J. Washington, Terry Rozier, all of these players that were playing really well, the Martin Twins, getting them uh, this kind of experience uh, because they were playing very well at the end of the season. And so I, I wouldn't discount that that's also a factor. I should note, too, that a lot of the general managers, according to Shams in this GM survey, want more roster flexibility, larger rosters, if they're going to do this. And I think they are anticipating injuries. They are anticipating um, issues. So you could see some cool names come up. Like what if the Hornets make the playoff plus model, then they go after a guy who's played a little bit in China post his NBA career. I'm talking of course about big Al Jefferson. Let's add him back mm -hmm. to the lineup. Let's go. Al Jefferson in the postseason once Secret again, weapon. maybe trying to catch revenge for that time that he suffered an injury and then lost to the Miami heat. He would be on a mission in that scenario. I'm really conflicted on this because usually I'm a guy that normally sides with the idea. If you're a team that's just battling for playoff, just a playoff berth after having battled mediocrity for so long, then give me the lottery spot. But for some reason in this situation, I do find the value of playing in the playoffs. And Doug, I think something that plays a part of that is the fact that this is a weak NBA draft. And I think when you look at past history of weak NBA drafts, that you actually come out with some of the better players once you get into the teens, once you get into 10, 11, 12, 13. Now, I don't know if that's really indicative of how you should think about it in the future because the higher spot you get, the better choice you have. Like you, you can choose who you want to with the higher spot. And so I don't know how much sense that makes, but Bill Simmons on his podcast and doing the redraftables, right? He talks about the crap shoot meter. <laughs> he comes up with all of these different categories. That's what Bill Simmons is known for, right? But he comes up with the crap shoot meter. 
And if you have a ton of players that were selected from 11 to 20, that a lot of them were better than maybe what you had from one to 10, then the crapshoot meter is crazy high because nobody knows what the hell is going on, which is the case of a lot of these NBA drafts anyway. Doug, because this is a weak NBA draft and because there's not these solid five guys that you know are clearly above the rest, I think that plays in part with me finding some value in Devontae Graham, PJ Washington, getting some playoff experience and having a lot of attention on them because there's nothing else for us to watch. Well, and and this is the final thing I'll say. If I thought the Charlotte Hornets would not purport themselves well, if I thought they were going to go into this playoff plus scenario and get absolutely embarrassed and be a national joke, then I would not be advocating for this. But I actually think that the Hornets led by this young, hungry group of players who are going to be desperate to play basketball, I think they could do something. I'm not saying they could do a, a ton. I don't think they're going to be any threat in a, in, you know, to the NBA championship. I'm not insane. But I think they could come away with something to hang their hat on. And, and if it doesn't, and, you, and as you said, weak draft, it's not going to devastate their, their ability to, to acquire a, a big-name player. You're advocating for a playoff spot for the Hornets if it's possible. I'm advocating for that. Do you know what I'm also advocating for, Doug? What? I'm advocating for Built Bar, damn it. It's the best tasting bar that there is out there on the market. I actually tried your tip. Uh Uh-huh. I refrigerated the Built Bars. Okay. I pulled out a banana bread chocolate Built Bar and proceeded to reap the benefits of how good Mm. that it tasted. Amazing, Doug. I appreciate the tip. Have you been doing the same um, every single time, like, do you go with the built bar out of the pantry or are you strictly refrigerator built bar guy? Now? Uh, no, built bar has become my go-to post run snack. I'm actually, and I'm, I'm, to- I'm totally honest about this. Like when I'm midway through my run, I'm looking forward to coming back and getting the built bar. Like on, on the second mile of my two mile run, it's all I can think about. I just want that tasty, tasty chocolates, uh, of the, the hundred percent chocolate that's around these built bars. Uh, my, I, I haven't tried the banana bread yet. My big flavor, my big go-to right now, uh, is the, the, the coconut almond. Yum. I'm looking forward to chocolate peanut butter brownie next. I already have it, uh, slated on my schedule of what built bar I'm going to try. There are other amazing flavors. It kind of tastes like a candy bar. So it's why Doug gets excited because you're not supposed to eat candy bars after your run, but this one you can, it has great texture. It has an amazing combination of low calorie, high protein and low sugar, no crazy additives. If you compare it to the most popular men's bar out there, it is half the calories seven times the fewer carbs and seven times the fewer sugar grams, and there's more protein. How can it be that good for you and taste that good? You're just going to have to try it for yourself. The way you can do that is you can go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off of your first box at www.BuiltBar.com. Again, that's LOCKEDON. I don't care if you space it. I don't care if you just use it as one word. It doesn't matter. It'll work all the same. When you do that, LOCKEDON, you get $10 off of your first box at www.BuiltBar.com. Coming up next, Baron Davis had an interview with Eric Collins, two greats in the Charlotte Hornets organization's history. We listen to some sound from them next on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. Final play, though, was pretty pretty doo-doo. You missed the shot, you missed the shot, but that was, and that good. It was reminiscent of Hornets inbounds years past. I was going to say, yeah, it was doo-doo, as you said, and it reminded of, what was the other shot that you didn't like, Doug? It's a technical Uh, term, technical basketball term. I'm a smart basketball guy. 
It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. To further prove the theory that sometimes we have segments that lower your IQ, um, we have now said doo-doo on the show about 17 different times, including that bump that we just That uh, voodoo that you do. We're also trying not to lie anymore, and I thought that might start by announcing to the world that we were going to look towards the present and the future. That's not happening, though, and we're not going to do that in the second segment either. It's Time Machine Week on Locked On Podcast Network. We're trying to look at the present and the future. It's just not going to happen, though. So um, it is actually going to coincide with something that is airing tonight. It's going to be Baron Davis and his second triple-double. The Hornets and Fox Sports Southeast are traveling back all the way to 2002 to show you Baron Davis's triple-double in the playoffs. And we thought we'd go there. Maybe it's not the second one. It's just the triple-double that he had in the playoffs. I think I've said that a couple of times. That's also a lie. It's what we do best here. Doug, do you have any more details that are the truth? Because I'm tired of lying to our lovable listeners. Uh, the truth is that the 2001-2002 Charlotte Hornets were a very good basketball team. And uh, they were playing, though, in a very weird year because the Charlotte Hornets had, um, or the management of the Charlotte Hornets, had declared their intention to move to New Orleans, uh, and this happened in January of that year. Uh, George Shin revealed that he had requested permission, but it was the worst-kept secret in the NBA that he had requested permission to move to New Orleans, and fans uh, left in droves. Uh, This was was not a good situation to play in uh, for Baron Davis or any of them, Uh, but it seems like they rallied around it. That's what Baron Davis had to say to... Uh, to our, our guy EC on uh, Fox Sports Southeast. You can uh, see the full interview on Fox Sports Southeast's YouTube channel, uh, but it's also on Twitter at Hornets on FSSE. You want to hear that audio? Are you ready? I do want to hear the audio. I've been waiting this whole time. B. Diddy, cue it up. Uh, it was, I remember like the year before, like Charlotte being lit, you know, like we're in the playoffs, everybody had the headbands. And then they come back that next year. I mean, my, I have crazy, crazy memories. I was uh, obviously in the game when there was like 5,000 people in the arena. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it went from, you know, all this great support to basically no support. Um, or, you know, it was really you saw a city that was kind of torn, you know, because they liked the players, they liked the team, but they just, you know, decided that, you know, they wasn't going to support, you know, uh, support what we were doing. So, you know, it was tough, like, you know, and but it became, you know, like our our weakness became our strength. So a lot like semi-pro, you know, not having a sold-out crowd <laughs> kind of worked in our favor. Uh, but, it, you know, for us, I think it was, it was a weird year. And it was an interesting year because – you know, we, we kind of bonded together as a team. We had good chemistry. Um, and we felt like we had an opportunity to go deeper in the playoffs, you know, if we could stay, you know, uh, healthy, you know, 100% healthy. So that was Baron, Dav- you- that was Baron Davis talking to uh, Eric Collins on, um, on uh, Fox Sports Southeast. Yeah, really interesting stuff. Uh, he, you know, Baron Davis had a great year that year. He was uh, averaging 18 points per game. assists, 4.3 rebounds that season, and on top of that, 2.1 steals. Effective field goal percentage, 
not great. This wasn't a really good offensive team. Same thing as uh, 2001 when they almost got to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, they didn't have Jamal Mashburn for those playoffs, which which really hurt them, or or at least a significant amount of those playoffs. I actually have uh, this audio I didn't tell you about, Walker. I've actually uh, dug up a commercial from 2002 uh, that uh, is around the Charlotte Hornets playoff run, if you'd like to hear that. This is- I, man, all the audio you have, Doug, I'm just going to go ahead and give you an advanced yes. I want to hear everything you have. You're going to give me carte blanche. They have defied the skeptics, rising above injuries and questions about their future. Now, the Charlotte Hornets are focused on only one thing. An NBA championship. The Hornets versus the Nets tomorrow on TNT. You can't now you you can't see the video of that uh, Walker and and people listening, uh, but that ended with Baron Davis very intimately caressing the Larry O'Brien Trophy. I mean, it was oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he just two arms like it around Lauren it. Dern, right? That Laura Dern is it? Lauren Dern or Laura Dern? It's Laura. Dern, Laura right? Dern. Laura Dern. That's what I thought. Uh, and I ruined the joke because I had to over-explain it. But nonetheless, I, I'm sure it would have been hilarious had I just got the first name right immediately. It's true. By the way, that was Lenny Kravitz, uh, Dig In, if you didn't catch that song. Um, but there it is. That was the the Hornets um, playoff commercial. Uh, if, you're, if you're wondering why the Hornets decided to move to New Orleans, I, I think it's a very complicated issue, Walker, but it really centered around and why Hornets fans really left that team in 2001 and 2002. It didn't support that final year. It's complicated, but it really centers around two things. One, the dispute between the city of Charlotte and really um, the the people who lived in Charlotte uh, versus the team who wanted an uptown arena and the, the city council and really the citizens of Charlotte did not necessarily want to give George Shin, the owner of the team at the time, that arena. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that George Shin was not a popular figure by that point in Charlotte. Uh, Shin was accused of kidnapping and sexually assaulting a Charlotte woman in 1999. And there was a trial and it was broadcast on court TV and, and cable news was around this. And so it had made Shin a very unpopular figure, uh, really got to his reputation. And uh, Shin actually admitted to the Charlotte Observer recently uh, that the drama over his personal life was a factor in the Hornets leaving town. So it was a an arena dispute and then Shin's personal drama, that trial uh, that led to Hornets uh, fans and Charlotte in general saying, all right, we're, we're, we're kind of done with this. Yeah, and you look at their move to New Orleans and Doug, I know we were talking about this before we actually did so in a time when people are going to be able to hear us, but um, it didn't go well in New Orleans. You know, it's not like that has been a franchise that flourished once it moved to New Orleans. And I was looking at some of the transactions that Baron Davis mentioned how how tight of a bond that they developed with that team. You know, that whole team because of the experience that they had to go through. And I was looking at his transaction list on Basketball Reference. One thing that I noticed is that not too many transactions for Baron Davis, right? Like this is not a guy. Like I think of him as having been on the move quite a bit. But maybe to my surprise, um, not nearly as much as I really thought. So, of course, he was drafted by the Hornets. And then he moved along with the team to New Orleans. 
And then New Orleans traded him to Golden State. How about this? For Speedy Claxton, a great name, and Dale Davis. And then he signed as a free agent after a few years with the Warriors. And he was, of course, on that Believe team. He signs with the LA Clippers. One interesting trade that he was a part of. He was traded by the Clippers with a 2011 first-round draft pick that later would become Kyrie Irving. He was traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers and then waived by the Cavaliers. But it's funny how that team kind of broke up, right? Like you move on from Baron Davis pretty quickly. So remember also in the 2005 draft, that's when they decided to replace him with Chris Paul. And that's when the Chris Paul, David West era was kind of born. They also had Tyson Chandler there for a while. And that was some of the most successful teams. Like that was actually a pretty fun little team, but that's all it was. Then that would kind of disbanded. And so that whole team, you know, gets broken up a fun. What if, since we are traveling back in time, does that team get broken up if they are still here in Charlotte or is it, you know, because it's run maybe differently in new Orleans. I don't know if it is, but just another, what if, because, um, you know, I know we were discussing that the last couple of weeks. I know. I think it's super interesting. And actually Jake Madison over at locked on Pelicans did a really interesting episode. I believe it's the latest one where he talked a lot about some of these players, PJ Brown, uh, Baron Davis and where they rank in New Orleans history. And so go check that out if you're interested in sort of like what happened after all that went down. I think this is a super interesting topic and and I would propose that we continue to talk about it in the next segment because really if you look at the numbers, Charlotte should have never moved to New Orleans. Like the Hornets should have never gone to New Orleans. And I'd love to look at those numbers. I'd like to look at what was going on in 2002 and what we were, how we experienced that time. So I think we can do that in, in the next segment if you're, if you're okay with that, Walker. This is your show. I'm not trying to take over anything. I just want to make sure I have your permission. We hop back in the time machine next. Final segment of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Beep, boop, 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 beep, boop, boop, beep. This is Locked on Hornets. I feel like Cody Martin is the perfect guy to go down there right now as much as anybody is. Yeah, you no, like I know, that yeah, no, I definitely, sorry, Martin. I didn't know you were tossing me there. Yeah, I definitely, okay. I definitely think that. Was uh, that a me problem or you a problem? Were you just not listening or were, was I just, did I didn't set you up? Oh, I totally wasn't, li- well. I wasn't listening to you okay. at all. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. We're supposed to be discussing that move to New Orleans a little bit more as Doug one and two, and he does have some interesting points. I heard them already. I'm excited to get to them because they do raise a lot of interesting questions. I wanted to get to this tweet from Jonathan Wasserman, though, really quickly. He had this tweet come out earlier at 11 today. He said, quote, hearing certain teams giving prospects some form of IQ tests during Zoom interviews, timed exercises involving shapes, numbers, memory, matching, have heard the Warriors, the Wolves, the Raptors, the Celtics, and the Hornets use these particular exercises. Disappointed in Charlotte for having been a part of these teams that are listed. I have no clue how this You're has disappointed. Any- yeah. Oh, no. I don't want these IQ tests. It reminds me of the Wonderlick score that's used in the NFL draft, which has no it has no bearing on how good of an NFL player you are. This Wonderlick test that they have to take, it only goes to show that they want to embarrass you by releasing some of these Wonderlick scores. And I'm not even saying they're going to release some of the results of the IQ test. It just doesn't have any bearing on how good of an NFL player that you are with something similar that is instituted in that sport. And I can't imagine it has any bearing on how good of an NBA player you are based on how you perform with the shapes and the memory that's instituted by the Hornets and other teams. But the name, I mean, the names of the teams that they're included with are not embarrassing. I mean, they're good organizations. The Wolves are. The Wolves are pretty embarrassing. Okay. But the Celtics, the Warriors, I mean, those are, those are organizations that are generally regarded as 
uh, being able to put together good talent, good chemistry, good rosters. So in yeah, that, in that sense, I'm not, also, in that sense, I'm not disappointed. Yeah. Um, there are other teams here. I, I don't think that they were built based on the IQ point of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson and Draymond green. I don't think they were built upon how good their IQ tests were. I think they were built upon Steph Curry becoming the best shooter of all time, having been helped maybe by a little bit from his father. Same thing with Clay Thompson and Draymond just being a dog that was drafted in the second round, other teams as well. This really does upset me a little bit, maybe more than it should, but nonetheless, it upsets me. Well, I'll just say this. I, I mean, I don't know what's included, although it sounds like they're just showing them episodes of Sesame Street. Like, check this out. These shapes, do you get this? Do you Yeah, understand? it's a little degrading. It it's it's like. odd. It's odd. But I'll say, I don't know what all is involved. So I can't speak to the test or the efficacy of it. I will say this, that I feel like NBA teams, general managers have a good grasp and they, they feel like the scouting operations are so much better. There's so few players that, that we don't know about that there's a mystery around because we can get all over the world now. We've got tape on everyone. All of these leagues around the world are, are much better about uh, showcasing the talent and filming these players. So that's taken care of. And, and, and medical knowledge has grown significantly over the decades. So we're able to really more finely detect if a player is going to have injury concerns moving forward. They feel like they have a good grasp of that, I think. The one frontier where they just really have no idea, they're still shooting in the dark, is psychology. Is will a player join my organization and improve his ability to play basketball from college to the NBA? Will he elevate his game to star level, and do I want to invest in that player as a lottery pick if if they're just going to flame out in a few years and they're not and they're not really interested in taking their game to the next level? That's where they they don't understand. They haven't been able to really, w- with any kind of accuracy, predict if a player is going to be able to do that. And I bet you that they are going to have more things like this in the future that are that are built around trying to figure out if you know, what's going on upstairs as opposed to what's going on everywhere else. One team that you did not hear included in that is the new Orleans Pelicans. Hey, what if the new Orleans Pelicans had never moved from Charlotte? Would that be a team that still was in Charlotte that did not implement these IQ tests for prospects? Doug, how in the world did the Pelicans end up down in new Orleans as they used to be referred to as the original Charlotte Hornet? It's, it's a really odd thing to me. I'm pulling up this article uh, from the New York Times uh, back at, written back in 2002 on the events at the time in January when it was revealed that George Shin had asked the NBA permission. And again, he had to ask permission. It wasn't like you could just pack up all your things and move to New Orleans. You had to go to the NBA. You had to go to David Stern and say, hey, can we move to New Orleans? And I'm going to read you a little bit of this article. Under NBA bylaws, A committee assembled by Commissioner David Stern to examine the proposed move would compare business conditions, fan support, and facilities in the two cities. I'm going to stop there. Remember, Walker, that a big contentious point between between George Shin and the city is that the Charlotte Coliseum, as awesome as we remember it as fans, uh, only had, I believe, 12 luxury boxes. And that wasn't a lot compared to the rest of the NBA. And when we talked to Rick Bennell, he mentioned that Alonzo Mourning mentioned that in terms of a, you know, wanting to move to Miami mm-hmm. and be around an organization that had um, a, a legitimate economic operation and and a building that could, could bring people like that. And so uh, that was a big deal. Okay, back to this. Uh, so 22 of 29 NBA owners would have to vote in favor of the move. 
Now, New Orleans had a smaller metro than population than Charlotte and a smaller medium household income. New Orleans was also the 43rd nationally ranked TV market where Charlotte ranked 27th at a time. So if you just look at the numbers, Walker, everything was in favor of Charlotte keeping the team except for the facility and fan support. I mean, those were the two big things. The, the fans had completely abandoned the team because, again, going back to George Shin being so unpopular that fans were like, listen, I'll go spend my money with the Panthers. I don't have to spend it with the Hornets. They abandoned the team, and you have to look at that and say that was the reason why. The fact that Baron Davis had to play a playoff game in front of 5,000 fans or a regular season game in front of 5,000 fans, that's why the Hornets moved. I'm not even questioning that it's – unjustifiable for us to be so scared as Hornets fans anytime something like this comes up. But we are scared when there's a new soccer team and we talk with Rick Bennell that the Hornets are actually going to have to compete because this is going to be a team that has to win at some point. And they just haven't done so ever since the Bobcats were instituted here. Are they going to have to compete with the soccer franchise? Remember when the Carolina Panthers came all those years ago and the Hornets were abandoned because George Shin was so unpopular. And then here's the shiny new NFL team. And granted, the NFL rules above all, but they started to gravitate more towards Panthers fans. Like this is pretty clearly a town that likes the Panthers more than they like the Hornets, just as NFL is popular more in general. But now even the Panthers are so. And here we are talking about just the possibility, right? Like we've had this discussion before about whether the Hornets would actually leave again and ultimately it's going to come down to winning and making sure that you put butts in the seats. And, you know, if Michael Jordan and ownership wants a new stadium, is Charlotte going to go for that? The question and the answer to that question is no. And then is that going to drive Michael Jordan out of here and move to a different city? I think we all get really scared when we think about that. I think the odds of that happening are pretty slim, but we always do. I, I feel like we bring that up every once in a while as Hornets fans. Well, what Jordan did get with the with the with that Uptown Arena is he did get improvements, and with it mm -hmm. came big events and the All-Star Game, and he was able to get improvements to that building. So we ha he has had some leverage with the city, and the city has um, move some tax dollars around to make improvements to that building. But you're right. I don't think that he has a lot of leverage, just like Shin. Shin had no leverage. He couldn't, because we've seen this in sports over and over, right? A team says, all right, we're going to move to Los Angeles if you don't give us a new arena. And sometimes the cities capitulate and sometimes they don't. And Shin lost all of his leverage because of his personal issues, because people didn't like George Shin. And so... That's the thing with Jordan. I think there's a general attitude. I think people like Michael Jordan, uh, but they're not coming to the arena because he hasn't been able to put a winning product. That at least you know Shin and Woolridge were able to put a winning product on the floor, uh, but nobody liked them. Whereas I think people generally like Michael Jordan or love Michael Jordan, but he hasn't been able to put the winning product on the floor, so he loses all his leverage. Uh, Man, so so fun. if if, if the team moved they would have to move in the middle of the night. There would be no, well, Jordan's threatening to move because Charlotte would be like, okay. Man, it's funny because I got a caller in on the wake-up call you know, last week that just fought me tooth and nail about how George Shin is the guy that drove Alonzo Mourning out of here and it wasn't Alonzo Mourning's decision to leave the franchise. And it was because George Shin 
wasn't going to pay him enough money. And it was the fact that he wanted to get rid of the star. And in reality, we heard from Rick Bennell in these what if podcasts that we've been doing. And George Shin actually made a, a pretty comparable offer to what Miami had offered him. And then I went and just looked it up because I was like, what am I missing here? This fan was just so adamant that it was George Shin's responsibility and why he left. And then there was an article in the LA Times talking about how Alonzo Mourning was offered this really comparable deal by the Charlotte Hornets um, for what you know the Miami Heat gave them. And, and you know, we had gone and researched this so much. It just goes to show you, like George Shin um deservedly takes a lot of the blame for some of the bad things that happened with the Hornets, but man, like he gets all of the blame for every bad thing that happened when in reality there are some things that it was, you know, it was Alonzo's fault. Like Alonzo wanted to leave as much as anything. Yeah, I think the amount of money, it may have been a comparable deal. And I think from Alonzo's perspective, he's like, you can't give me a comparable deal. Miami presents me a better opportunity. So if you, he wanted the, I'm going to play in a small market premium. And so the amount of money that George Shin would have had to offer him in order to keep him in Charlotte was probably from Shin's perspective and Woolridge's perspective in terms of the future of being able to put a roster together may have been untenable. And so it was probably, yeah, I mean, it was probably a combination of of both of those things. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, the Hornets leaving, I think uh, so much of it revolved around uh, George Shin. And I think the, the arena discussion is kind of auxiliary. Uh, but it's interesting to look at those numbers because again, just based on the numbers, I don't think that New Orleans deserved to get an NBA team. And by the way, they still yeah. have it. But it went pretty badly because you know, because George had to give it back. <laughs> he had to give the team. I mean, he, you know, technically sold the team. But um, yeah, it was just a disaster how that ended. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Hornets. Thanks again to Built Bar for supporting the show. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NBA. Chad Ford's Big Board and Hollinger and Duncan. Have a great day. Have a good uh, have a good weekend, and we'll be back with you on Monday. And go watch that replay on Fox Sports Southeast tonight, eight o'clock. Hornets Orlando. Baron Davis triple double. Be diddy.